The book of Proverbs is a book of Proverbs. This is why I went to divinity school. (laughs) Now, being a book of Proverbs, it's not to be taken at face value. These adages, maxims, and Proverbs amount to a collection of wisdom on a wide variety of topics, often cloaked in metaphor. And in this text, we find a king named Lemuel receiving some wisdom from his mother. Now, it's a bit cryptic at first. She says that a king should not indulge in drunkenness, but rather share his wine with people who are suffering. Now, it soon becomes clear that what Lemuel's mother is talking about is not wine at all, but rather something more profound, which I'll explain a little later. Notably, the name Lemuel does not correspond to any known monarch of Israel or any other nation in the ancient Levant. While scholars have tried to identify with, uh, him with the uh, royalty of historical record, most commonly King Solomon, it seems obvious to me that Lemuel is entirely, well, proverbial. I mean, first of all, this is the book of Proverbs we're talking about. Second, his name is telling. Lemuel literally means one who belongs to God. So in other words, he's kind of a stand-in for anyone who lives righteously and heeds God's wisdom. He could be you or me if our heart is in the right place. And that means that we ought to share our proverbial wine with the ones who need it most. Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 9. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, or else they will drink and forget what has been decreed and will pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink their poverty, from their, forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak out for those who cannot speak for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. It probably wasn't the best time to bring it up, but I was so frustrated that I just couldn't help myself. I was at a gathering of local clergy a couple of years ago. We like to get together for lunch every so often to discuss local affairs, often inviting guests from the community to join us. Now, that particular day, our guest was the Glen Ellen Village Manager, Mark Franz. Now, I haven't got any problem with Mark Franz. He seems like a nice guy, and he's always made an effort to stay connected with the religious community. At the beginning of the pandemic, he even hosted a weekly Zoom meeting with the clergy to discuss COVID trends and the village's strategy for coping with them. He really went above and beyond. But this was before anyone had ever heard of COVID, and while I had no personal issue with Mark, I did have a grievance about the intersection on Taft and Lambert not far from my house, that had recently been rerouted in such a way as to make my trips to the grocery store 
a lot more inconvenient. You see, whereas I could previously just coast straight down Taft Avenue, avoiding Roosevelt Road altogether, I was now forced to divert onto Lambert on my way home, sit at a long stoplight, and then complete the trip on Roosevelt Road where I had to deal with another two or three stoplights. Frankly, it was a pain. I'm getting aggravated just talking about it. <laughs> so while we were finishing up lunch and pouring coffee, we were engaged with Mark in a conversation about something important. I think it was homelessness in Glen Ellen. And that was important at all. But as I sensed the discussion was winding down, I asked if we were going to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> I'm sorry? Mark inquired politely, unsure of what I was getting at. What's the story with the intersection on Taft and Lambert, I blurted out. I mean, why did the village decide to fix something that wasn't broken? Oh, right, that, Mark replied. Well, there's been an abnormally high occurrence of accidents at that intersection, so we rerouted traffic to make it safer. I mumbled something about traffic lights and the extra time it took me to get home from the Jewel Osco and how even cheap chicken Mondays weren't really worth the trip anymore. <laughs> but as soon as the words escaped my mouth, I realized how petty they sounded. I looked to my colleagues for support. They sort of turned away and shuffled in their seats uncomfortably, a few of them nervously scratching their necks beneath their clerical collars. I could tell what they were all thinking, and they weren't wrong. Namely, that my own inconvenience might be a fair trade-off for a safer intersection, and that this whole conversation was really not a good use of anyone's time. Maybe some grievances are better left unspoken. But in a world of constant outrage, I think that's a lesson that many of us, myself included, are still struggling to learn. In the book of Proverbs, we find this passing reference to King Lemuel. His mother tells him that a king should not indulge in drunkenness, but rather give his wine to those who are suffering. Give strong drink to one who is perishing, she says, and wine to those in bitter distress. Well, like all things in the book of Proverbs, this is a metaphor. She goes on to tell her son, speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out. Judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. See, the wine here, I think, is a metaphor for outrage. You could hoard it all yourself, indulge in hateful self-pity, loudly complain about your own inconveniences, or you can speak out for those who have no voice, organize for the sake of the greater good, share that proverbial wine with the ones in bitter distress. There's a big difference between complaining on your own behalf about something you don't like and complaining on behalf of someone else. The first is just bitter wine or sour grapes, as the idiom goes. But the latter is a biblical moral imperative. And man, there are a lot of sour grapes out there right now. A lot of grumpy monkeys. Whether it's mask mandates, vaccines, critical race theory, books in the school library, or the 2020 election, everyone's got something to be up in arms about. 
You know, I can't help but feel like a lot of these complaints are coming from a place of personal affront rather than concern for the greater good. You know, some people just don't want to wear masks or get a vaccine or be forced to think about racism or the Holocaust or to acknowledge that they lost an election. I mean, anyone can mask their objections in altruistic language. Think of the children. But beneath all of that, there's an argument being made in many of these situations about personal freedom trumping the greater good. It's less about what's good for everyone and more about what's good for me and mine. And the results are plain to see. People harassing school boards and banning books and burning them too. And if they don't realize what a bad look that is, they probably shouldn't have burned the history books first. Massive convoys have descended on the Canadian border, blocking the roads in an ill-conceived protest, harassing the locals by honking their horns through the small hours of the night and keeping people from getting to work. Legislatures are passing laws that forbid teachers from discussing anything that might make students uncomfortable, like LGBTQ issues or chattel slavery. The satirical news site The Onion had a clever take on this with one of their recent headlines announcing, teacher fired for breaking state's critical race theory laws after telling students she's black. All of this manufactured outrage is further fueled by pundits and social media echo chambers where grievances are amplified for all the world to hear. I just read this brilliant article about this need that everyone has to loudly and publicly complain about things and how the internet has exacerbated this tendency. Time it was when if you really wanted to get publicly steamed about something you'd read, the author notes, you'd first have to buy a newspaper read that newspaper, get steamed, go to your writing desk, jot down your letter, put that letter in an envelope, find a stamp, and then walk to the post office. And even after doing all of that, there was no guarantee it would be published. Airing one's grievances even 30 years ago took a kind of monastic dedication. But nowadays, saying something deeply unwell to thousands of people is as trivial as ordering a coffee. Indeed, one, look need, one need look no further than Twitter or Facebook to see what he's talking about. But if you really want to dive into the toxic swamps of social media, you can't do better than the Nextdoor app. <laughs> where you can argue with your friends and neighbors who live right down the street. Now, while I try to stay away, I confess that I am occasionally lured in. I'm not proud to admit it, but sometimes I even get into arguments with people on there. A couple of weeks ago, someone had posted that masks simply don't work, that they don't offer any kind of protection against the coronavirus. Now, this struck me as patently absurd. Common sense dictates if you want to keep droplets or aerosols out of your nose, a multi-layered physical barrier is a pretty good solution, even if it's not a perfect one. Well, condoms aren't perfect either, I replied, <laughs> against my better judgment. But when you use them properly, they're pretty effective. <laughs> In response, he posted, condoms, really? Show me the science that says masks are effective. And please don't reply to this 
because you will be wrong. <laughs> Friends, this is the state of discourse in 21st century America. Show me the science, but don't reply. Don't even talk to me, because you will be wrong. The author of the article I quoted before, I think, says it best. This kind of relentless churn of opinion, he writes, this unceasing urge to prosecute our case on things we hadn't even heard about an hour before, this gamification of being right, which is all it really boils down to, is a deeply unhealthy way of interacting with the world around us. For one thing, it robs us of our genuine curiosity. The paradox is that while people hold opinions on everything, they aren't particularly curious about anything. Now look, there's nothing wrong with airing a grievance per se. People do it at church sometimes, which is to be expected in any community. And they almost always do it respectfully and appropriately. But out there, out there in the wider world, it feels like people are addicted to outrage. And sometimes it's for a righteous cause. But as often as not, it's just sour grapes. A friend of mine works for a water utility company. And last year, they detected the presence of E. coli in one of the local water wells. So they treated it with chlorine to kill the bacteria. Simple enough, right? Well, I have to warn you that this story gets a little bit gross. One concerned citizen, let's call him John, no offense to any Johns out there, decided that he didn't like the taste of the chlorine in the water. John complained that the chlorine affected the pH levels and soured the flavor, and that the water company had no business meddling with a neighborhood water well, which he argued was pristine before the chlorine was added. John got so upset about the water that he organized over 800 of his neighbors and filed a formal complaint with the health department. Naturally, an investigation followed. It was determined that there had, in fact, been traces of E. coli bacteria in the water, and furthermore, that it had resulted from a leaking septic tank that was adjacent to the well. Someone's waste had been leaking into the water that John had argued was so pristine. But here's the twist. The septic tank belonged to John. <laughs> the entire neighborhood had been drinking his bacteria, and he'd unwittingly organized them to ensure that they would keep on doing it. Now that's what I call bitter wine. If you're going to get outraged, consider whose interests you're defending. Is it really a righteous cause or just something you don't happen to like? If you're going to throw down, do it on someone else's behalf. And I don't mean the children that people are trying to protect from books that might actually encourage critical thinking or a vaccine that actually kind of works. I'm talking about real oppression, systemic racism, homophobia, violence, labor issues, poverty. If you're going to get mad, get mad because someone is being legitimately oppressed and disenfranchised. That's what Jesus did. But Jesus didn't turn over the tables in the temple because he thought the chicken tasted funny. He did it because they were selling chickens and goats and sheep to people who couldn't afford them for ritual sacrifices, taking advantage of the poor. 
Jesus didn't stage a protest on Palm Sunday because he didn't like paying Roman taxes. He staged a protest because the Romans were literally crucifying people. Jesus didn't die to glorify himself. He died because he spoke out for people without a voice of their own. And when those Roman soldiers held a sponge up to his lips, soaked with bitter wine, Jesus didn't complain. Even on the cross, he didn't complain. He advocated for someone else. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Amen.